Well, good morning, WCC uh, Church family. It's so uh, great to be worshiping with you again this morning. As you can see, uh, again, we are not in the sanctuary this morning. Uh, hopefully one more week be praying for George and I as we finish up the new tech desk. Uh, and then we should be back to live streaming next week. And I'm sure many of you are, are very excited to get back to the actual live stream. Uh, but once again, uh, just like last week, we're going to head into a time of worship in song. We have one song before the message, then we'll bring the message right to you, and we'll close with one more song afterwards. Uh, there aren't too many announcements this week, uh, but please uh, finish the survey online. If you have not taken it yet, uh, we still want everyone to take that survey, so please go and do that for us. Uh, so we can get as much feedback from as many people as possible. We would be really thankful for that uh, as well. Coming up on the 23rd is the Keepers of the Faith concert. Uh, and so that's going to be another amazing time with the Keepers of the Faith. They were here uh, probably three years ago. And what a great night of worship we had together. Uh, and then last thing, uh, starting up in September again, I believe it's the 7th, a Wednesday the first Wednesday of September, Pastor Roberts can be starting up another Bible study with the book of Luke. And you don't want to miss that Bible study. He is asking that you sign up. So if you're not showing up to church in person right now, uh, but you would like to show up to that Bible study or you would like to do the Zoom call, make sure to email Pastor Robert and let him know you'd like to join that class. Uh, I think that's all we have for now. Uh, let's pray and we'll get right into worship. Father, we thank you so much for this morning together. Uh, let us be grateful, thankful, full of joy that we might gather freely, both in this place physically and together online, that we might worship and praise you and give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise that you deserve. Uh, Jesus, we thank you that you came to this earth and you lived the perfect life that we could not live. You died the perfect death in our place that we could not. And then you rose again three days later to show death that it could not defeat you so that we might stand together joyfully singing, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And we might be with you for eternity. Uh, may we be joyous in our praising of you today. May you uh, hear our worship as a fragrant offering to you this morning. And may you be glorified and lifted high, uh, both in this place as we have gathered together and individually in each of our homes. Uh, may we be prepared through your word this week, not only to look more uh, like you, Jesus, but as we go about our week to make disciples wherever we go. We thank you, we praise you, and we pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Uh, we'll enjoy worshiping together. It's a great message you're going to hear this week, and we look forward to seeing you live again soon. Bye. We won't fear the battle. We won't fear the night. We will walk the valley with you by our side.
set here and walk through the passage of scripture with you this morning. Um, if you're here this morning um, or you're going through this again, I, I handed out a outline. And uh, sometimes when the outline gets this long, like it's a booklet, it's because I'm covering a passage of scripture. Well, I want to make sure um, the point is made clearly. And so lots of times I will actually write more so that I can follow it. 
so that we get the we get the central point of the passage. And so that is my concern this morning because we're walking through a passage of scripture that can be um, go in a lot of different directions. And I want us to keep on point. So we're in First Peter chapter two, verses thirteen through seventeen, titled this sermon "More Strategy to Group Number One." Peter has said there's two groups: group number two, those who do not believe, and group number one, those who believe. And he's taken the time to go back to group number one and, and talk a little bit more to them. So if I do a little bit of a recap here, uh, group one's identity is that they are the people of God. So last week. He said, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. They believe, group number one, they believe that Jesus is the cornerstone set by God in Zion, rejected by men, but chosen and precious to God. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. That's chapter two, verses six and seven. So group number one are those who believe that Jesus is the cornerstone that was set in Zion by God. Even though it was rejected by men, it is the chosen and precious cornerstone. And they believe in him. They believe that he, that is who he is. And therefore, they're not put, be put to shame. Um, we have been saved to proclaim the excellencies of God. So the reason that we are saved, many times we think of it just personally ourselves, but really we have been saved to proclaim who he is. We have went from group two to group one, and I keep taking us back to our verse, chapter one, verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us, he has caused us to be born again. He has caused us to go from group two to group one, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Next point, inwardly, inwardly, we abstain from the passions of the flesh. And we saw that back in verse 11 of chapter 2, where he tells us to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Also, also at the start of that passage, at the start of that chapter, uh, he tells us all these things that we are to put off. That's inwardly, outwardly now. We are to have a beautiful conduct, uh, parentheses, good deeds, good deeds, even in the midst of being called evildoers. So others, parentheses, uh, group number two, who do not yet believe, they see or they observe those good deeds and go from group two to group one by glorifying God on the day of their visitation. And that takes us back to verse 12 and that they would glorify God on the day of their visitation. Let's keep going here in this recap. What I think what's going to happen today is Peter is digging deeper again. Just like a couple weeks ago, he dug deeper when he said, let's love one another earnestly from a pure heart. How do we do that? Well, this week, I think he's digging deeper on this last thing that he has just told them. How do we keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable? How do we keep it beautiful? How do we keep it excellent, even in the midst of being called evildoers? So, number one, we keep doing good deeds, even when spoken of as evildoers. That's the first thing he told us to do. Now, today, here's my number two, is that for the Lord's sake and as servants of God to be good citizens. How do we keep our conduct in, among the Gentiles 
honorable, well, for the Lord's sake and as servants of God, be good citizens. So always remember that the prayer of group one, those who believe, is for the visitate the day of visitation of God to those who are presently in group two, those who do not believe. That's always our prayer, that we who believe, that we would pray that there would be days of visitation for those who do not yet believe, that they would be visited by God. Now, I, I taught you last week uh, just this little course uh, before we read the scripture, ancient words ever true, changing me and changing you. We have come with open hearts. We'll let the ancient words impart. So with that, let's look at this passage of scripture today. First Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, reading in its entirety, this is the word of God. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good, for this is the will of God. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. God breathe inerrant, infallible that we are able to read and study and apply to our lives. We thank you for your son who was born, who died on a cross, who was put in a grave, who was raised on the third day, who was ascended into heaven and he is coming again. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit, the comforter that has been given to your children to guide us in your truth. And we ask for your guidance this day in my precious name. Amen. Amen. So let's go back to verse 13. Verse 13 says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme. So be subject. That phrase means to arrange yourself under. Um, it's a military term. So you are voluntarily putting yourself under some other authority. It's not coercion. It's submit. That's what submission means is that I am voluntarily putting myself self under the authority of another. A great example of this is found in Luke chapter 2. We find Jesus, 12 years old. He's been at the Passover feast with his parents. They have left. He stayed behind. He's been in the temple area speaking to the teachers. His parents finally catch up to him, find where he is. And in chapter 2, verse 49, it says, why were you searching for me? This is Jesus, 12-year-old Jesus, he asked. Didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? That is a wonderful statement there, because what is 12-year-old Jesus saying? He's saying if he's in his father's house, then he is the son of the father. He is the son of God. Verse 50, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Verse 51, then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. It's the same Greek word there. He was being subject to them. He was arranging himself voluntarily underneath the authority of his mother and his father, Joseph and Mary. 
But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So that's what being subject means, to arrange yourself under. It says, be subject for the Lord's sake. Now, here's where the hierarchy comes in. For the true motivation of what you are going to do is for the Lord's sake. Because the Lord is who he is, I will put myself under... And then the rest of the verse goes to every human institution, to every human institution. And I think when you read this passage in Peter, you always have to have your finger in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Because Paul uses some of the same words that Peter uses, um, but he gives us a little more depth to what's going on here. So in chapter 13 of Romans, verse 1, it says, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. That word established means put in order or stationed by. So God has stationed or put in order these governing authorities. Now, before I go any farther, I want you to remember who he's writing to. Who's Peter writing to? He's writing first century Gentile Christians who are being heavily persecuted by who? The Roman government, along with others too, but the Roman government. We do a little sidebar here to rem remember that God established marriage and family. In the scriptures, all the way back to Genesis, he established what marriage is. He established the family. And we have in the scriptures instructions on how those things are to work in accordance to him. He also established civil government, governing authorities. And in the scriptures, as we will see today, he sets up roles and responsibilities for them. And then God established the church. And we'll see in the scriptures over and over again, he gives roles and responsibilities of how his church is to operate. So God has established those three things. He has established, put them in order, and he gives them roles and responsibilities and regulations. Well, he ends his first word saying, whether it be to the emperor's supreme. So he goes to the top of the chain of in man's world, from the highest on man's level. Uh, emperor means leader of the people, commander, king. So for them in that day, it was Caesar. And it was Caesar who was named Nero. He was the top of the chain when it came to man's authority. Now, verse 14, he goes on to say, Or the governors as sent by him to punish those who do wrong and praise those who do good. So, or to the governors who are sent by him. So that means any leader of any kind underneath the highest um, man's authority. And probably, you know, one to remember that would be uh, pretty famous in the Bible would be Pilate. Pilate was a governor. Pilate was a leader of a kind underneath Caesar at the time. So let me recap here. My conduct, or Peter is telling his readers, your conduct is to be honorable and beautiful when you arrange yourself under the civil government that God has established. And so the Christian should be described as a good citizen in the country they live in. And remember again, Peter is writing to the first century Gentile Christians who are being heavily persecuted by the Roman government. 
So this might sound really odd for him to say that to this group of people because now he gives us these two things about the government. He says to punish those who do good and to praise those who do or punish those who do evil. I did it opposite, didn't I? Punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. So they punish those who do evil. They execute justice on the evildoers. Now here's the irony. Because if we go back to verse 12, who are the evildoers? It, they are being called evildoers. And then if we say, and to praise those who do good, that means to commend those acting rightly. What is Peter telling them to do as they're called evildoers? To continue to do good deeds, to do what is right. So these first century Gentile Christians are in a really tough spot. They are under a government that is calling them evildoers. But while it's being calling them evildoers and even punishing them as evildoers, they are continuing to do what is right. Now, um, it probably would come up, you know, like, but what if the government that you are under is not doing what God has told it to do, or it's not operating the way that God says it should operate to praise, punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Well, we know that all of the establishments that God has made can go awry. The family can go awry. The church can go awry. The civil governments can go awry. They all can go awry by going away from what God is, how God has set them up. A good picture of that is in Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 28. You'll hear of all of these institutions going awry. So in verse 28 of chapter 1 of Romans, it says, Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, they gave, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what they ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil, and they disobey their parents. There's a breakdown of the family one. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, well, who would know those? that the institution of the church, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. We are seeing that played out in our day. So there are times when these institutions of God, establishments of God can go awry. But now if we go back to Romans chapter 13 and we pick up in verse 2, listen to Paul's instruction. He says to the Christians, consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do not do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for you, those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. So he's pointing out that side, that the government is to commend those who do right, that's what they're supposed to do. And so you do right and you and they will commend you. Then he goes and he flips over the coin. 
for he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. So there Paul is doing the same thing that Peter did. He said there are the government is there to commend the right and to punish the wrong. He goes on to say, therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of the possible punishment, because when a government is operating under God's rules and responsibilities, if you do wrong, you should expect punishment for doing wrong. But then he adds on this, but also because of the conscience. So almost like for group one, those who believe Christians, there's a twofold obedience that's going on here. There's an obedience to the governing authorities because you know that they have been put in place by God to punish the wrong and to commend the right. But then there's another obedience on top of that because of your conscience that you are a child of God. Then he ends this. This is why you also pay taxes for the authorities are God's servant who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe him taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. So let me pause right here and, and give you some important questions and, and points to think about. The first one is this. The first question is this. Is what is being asked of me going against what God has commanded me? So if God is supreme. And he is the one that is the highest. And we are to always obey him. Is what is being asked of me going against what God has commanded me? Okay, here comes the statement. A careful reading and instruction from the scripture is needed. So if there is something that seems to be that it's going against what God has commanded of me then I need to make sure that I am looking into the scripture and I'm getting a careful reading and instruction from the scripture that I am standing solidly on this, that this is what God has said and I, I cannot veer from it as a child of God. Okay, the end result is ultimate obedience to God no matter the earthly consequences while keeping an honorable, beautiful conduct. So the the First century Christians during that day, they were being told they need to say Caesar is Lord. Well, they know that goes against what God has commanded. The only one that is Lord and the only one that you speak as Lord is Jesus is Lord. So they could not say Caesar is Lord. What's the earthly consequence at that time if they didn't say Caesar is Lord? Well, the earthly con consequence was the lions uh, fed to the lions in the arena. It was being burned at the stake. It was being put on a rack and pulled in all directions in, in torture. That was the earthly consequence. But then he says, while keeping your honorable, beautiful conduct before them. So the end result is ultimate obedience to God. No matter the earthly consequence, what man might do, while keeping an honorable, beautiful conduct before them. So here's a couple more questions. Has our government ever crossed the line into what God has established for the family slash marriage and the church? And I would say, yes, our government has done that at times. It has crossed the line in doing that. 
Has our government ever praised the evil and punished the good? Yes, I would say that also. There have been times that, that our government has flip-flopped on things, and it's actually doing things that are actually against what the Word of God says. And, and at that point, you have to take that step back and say, who defines what is good and evil? Well, it's not the government that defines what good and evil is. God defines what good and evil is. And so there will be times that we as Christians, those in group one, those who believe, who will have to raise our hand and we'll have to object to something that is being done. Why? Because we are uh, we are appealing to the greater judge who is the definer outside of ourselves of what good and evil is. Now, so we're going to have to do that at times. But I think here's what Peter's driving at. How was your conduct while holding on to the obedience to God? How was your conduct when you had to raise your hand and say, um, I'm sorry, this is what the word of God says, and I'm a follower of God, and therefore I'm following after him. How was your conduct when you had to raise your hand? So let's go back to our scripture. It says, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. For this is the will of God. This is the purpose of God. This is the desire of God. That by doing good, by doing good, that phrase means for the profit of the other. For doing good. I'm, I'm doing this to profit actually somebody else other than myself. And this doing good is a theme in First Peter. Let me give you some verses here. Verse 12 of chapter 2. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds. If I go to verse 20, same chapter, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Go to chapter 3, uh, verse 6, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Go down to verse 11. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Let's go to verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? What is good? Let's go to verse 16 and 17. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may put to, be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good if you should be God's, if it be God's will, than to do evil. And then one more, chapter 44, verse uh, 19, where it says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing Good, while doing good. And he says that while we're doing good, here's the result of that, that you should put to silence. And we talked about this last week. That word silence means muzzle. That as we do good, in light of being called evildoers, some people that will stop them, they'll pause. They'll say, wait a minute, that's not the response I thought I would get. I thought I would get the same response that I gave them, they were going to just dish right back to me. But that's not what happened. 
For some people, it will silence them. It will muzzle them. It will muzzle them. The ignorance of the foolish people, the next phrase is. It will muzzle those not knowing the ignorance of foolish people. That's group number two people, those who have yet to believe. So the point I think I'm trying to make here is that even the way we resist should point people to God. Even when we have to raise our hand and we have to resist, even the way we resist, the conduct that we have, when we resist, should point people to God. Now, you say, in the scriptures, are there times when people have had to resist? Yes, over and over again. Some of these are so beautiful. Probably the first notable one is in Exodus chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 15. Uh, Pharaoh has told the midwives, he's told the midwives, if it's a baby boy, a Hebrew boy, kill it. If it's a Hebrew girl, let it live. If we pick it up in chapter 1, starting at verse 15, it says, The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Fa, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it's a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God. There's the hierarchy, feared God, and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do, and they let the boys live. Okay, that was dealing with life. Jump ahead to the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This one, they were to worship this big idol. And when the band played, and they stood before King Nebuchadnezzar and said, you can have that band play as much as you want it to, but we will not bow to another God. And, and that meant the fiery furnace that they got put into. But that one dealt with worship. Um, go ahead a little bit farther, lion's den. Uh, Daniel is told that he has to pray to a man. No, no, you only pray to God. And where did that put him? That put him in a lion's den. Uh, look at all the prophets. The prophets came and were spokespeople of God. They would remind the people of God. The people of God had went awry away from the way that they were supposed to be living in honor of who God is. And so they would bring God's law. What happened to the prophets? Some of them got killed. Many of them got persecuted. Um, then you jump into the New Testament. You look at John the Baptist. Where is John the Baptist? He's in prison. He's in a dungeon. Why is he in a dungeon? Because he stood up and said, wait a minute, Herod. Your marriage is not right. You have taken your brother's wife as, uh, as your wife. That's wrong. That's against God's rules of marriage. That got him put in a dungeon and, and ultimately his head on a platter. We look at John and, and Peter and John uh, in the New Testament. After the resurrection of Jesus, after he ascends into heaven, after the day of Pentecost, they are now standing in front of the same Sanhedrin that Jesus had stood in front of. And if you go to chapter 4 of Acts, starting at verse 18, um, they they don't know what to do with these men. Um, they've done a healing. And so in verse 18, then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you 
rather than God. What did they do? They rose, they raised their hand. For we cannot help but speaking about what we have seen and heard. And after further threats, they let them go. Uh, they could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. In that situation, they stood up because of preaching. If you look at Paul's life, what happened to Paul? And, and what Paul talked about grace. That's what he was proclaiming was God's grace. And he was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was thrown into prison uh, multiple times. And then let me end with this one, Jesus. Jesus at times stood up against the authorities. He raised his hand. And uh, probably the most notable one maybe is in John chapter 19 when he's standing before the governing authority of Pilate. And we pick up the story in verse 7, John chapter 19, verse 7, where it says the Jews insisted we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. It's interesting. Some people say he never claimed to be the son of God, but here are people who are claiming that he did say he was the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. Um, they were very superstitious about deity, and he went back inside the palace. Where did you come from? He asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize, listen to this, don't you realize I, I, I have the power either to free you or to crucify you. Don't you know, Jesus, who I am? Don't you know that I'm in control? Don't you know that your life hangs in the balance of my hands? Now, that's all my words there kind of thing. But it just kind of set the stage. I, I just I, this is one of those times I wish I could have been there. And Jesus going, OK, I got to I got to set this guy straight. I got to let this guy know. OK, because he's he's walking down the wrong road here. When he says this in verse 11, Jesus answered, you would have no power over me. If it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of the greater sin. It, you marry that with Romans chapter 13, verse 1. That's where that truth is coming from. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. The only reason you are here and the only reason you are walking through this is not because of you. It's because God even puts you in that place. Puts you in that place. Now, the rest of this passage is terrible, but it shows you how awry things can go. Verse 12, back in John chapter 19, verse 12. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jews kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. Pilate heard this. He brought Jesus out, sat down at the judge's seat at the place called the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. Uh, it was the day of preparation for the Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. Listen to this. We have no king but Caesar. Uh-oh. The people of God have gone awry. 
away from their roles and responsibilities that God gave to them. And it says, we have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. And finally, Peter, Pilate uh, handed him over to be crucified, crucified. So I just hope they're just kind of running through there that you realize that, wow, there are times that you have to raise your hand. But what is your conduct again? So if we go back to our passage of scripture, almost done here. Verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. So live as people who are free. Another way of saying that, let all of your life embrace that you are one of God's children. Let all of your life embrace that you are one of God's children. You are part of the kingdom of God, wherever you are. Then he ties onto that, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. So you, as a born-again Christian, you in your born-again position, which has been provided and given by God, should never use it as an excuse to do wrong in this kingdom. So we should never use it as an excuse because we are of another kingdom to absolutely do wrong in accordance to God and also in accordance to the kingdom that we are a part of. But it, then it says, but living as servants of God. Um, servants there, doulos, uh, now living as a slave of God. And if I tie that back to verse 13, we started this off by saying, for the Lord's sake. Now we tie it to as servants of God or slaves of God. So let's look at Jesus for a moment here. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount on chapter 5, verse uh, 41, he said this. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Now, in Jesus' day, the Roman government had a rule, had a law, that a Roman soldier could um, force uh, a, a Jewish citizen, a Jewish person, to carry his stuff for one mile. And at the end of one mile, then they would have they would look for someone else to carry their things, but they could not require that Jewish person to carry it more than one mile. That was what the law was. But Jesus is saying here, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Just to show you this in action, in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 32, Jesus is carrying his cross on the way to Golgotha. And in verse 32, it says, and as they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene. His name was Simeon. And, and he was, they forced him to carry the cross. So there you see it. Now, I want to kind of play this out in your mind. So here's a Roman soldier and you're a Jewish citizen. And the Roman soldier comes up to you and, and hands his stuff, says, here, carry this. And so you carry it. Um, usually probably what would happen is when you got to the end of the mile, you'd throw it down and walk the other way, you know, kind of thing. And he'd have to find somebody else. But Jesus tells his followers, if you're forced to carry it one mile, carry it two. So now you're carrying this as a follower of Jesus Christ and you get to the one mile mark. And probably the Roman soldier is looking at you like, oh, this, this Jewish citizen isn't too smart, man. I, I pulled the wool over his eyes, man. I've got a, a quarter mile more out of him. I got a half mile more out of him. And he, and he just doesn't even know any better. And finally, probably maybe he gets to him and he goes, uh-uh, you, you, we went past the mile a long time ago. But you being in group one, one who follows after Christ, one who believes in Christ, says, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. 
But my master, my master told me to go too. Yeah, your master may have said go one. But I serve another master and he told me to go two miles. So let's finish this off. Verse 17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Four things here. This is, could be one of those Oreo constructs. Again, where you have that Oreo cookie that has the two wafers, chocolate wafers in the creamy center. Well, the top wafer is honor everyone. Honor means to fix a value on, on someone. And, and we need to fix a value on everyone and, and in an honorable way, even, even those that may be in prison. Um, we fix an honor, uh, a value on them is still human and providing that they have a, a fair trial and, and things along that lines. So we honor everyone. And then on the bottom wafer, that bottom last statement is honor the emperor. So you, you fix a value on him. But how do we do that? How do we honor everyone and honor the emperor representing the governing authorities? It's that creamy middle layer there. We, the, what helps us to be able to do that is we have this deep love for the brethren, brotherhood, this um, to love dearly those that we call brothers and sisters in Christ, and also to fear God, that we have this reverence of the holy, we have this reverence in action of our holy God. And as we love the brother, brethren, as we love brothers and sisters in Christ, and we have this holy reverence of God, we're able to honor everyone, and we're able to honor the emperor, the bottom part. Of it. So let me finish with this. How is your conduct? How is your conduct? Especially, how's your conduct when you have to raise your hand? How's your conduct when you have to raise your hand? Is it honorable and beautiful? Let me give you a, an example. Um, and I give this example. It's a personal example, but... Um, and it makes me look like the hero, but I'm not the hero. Um, the hero is following what God has said to do. Okay, that's the hero. There was a school board. Um, there was a school that our children were in, and um, they had a longstanding tradition of reading a certain book to the third graders. And it was usually around Halloween time. And the reading of this book uh, caused some anxiety. Uh, they had some reports of this already caused some anxiety with some of the children. Um, and uh, But they, they kept reading this book. It had a gold medallion on saying it was honored uh, by so many, you know, it was a it was award-winning kind of thing. Well, then they made a movie of it. At that time, it was uh, uh, VHS. They made a movie of it. and But the thing was, the movie was PG, and sometimes they would show it without getting the parents' permission. Well, that brought up, uh, a group within the community that found out about that. And instead of going to the school board, they jumped over the school board and went right to the press. When they went to the press, they just browbeat everybody on that school board. Well, when it got to the school board meeting, the place was packed out, the press was there, and the leader of this group got up and just vehemently attacked the school board. Um, I'm sitting there watching that. And then there were other people that got up and spoke. And then there was another minister of the community that got up. And lots of times when you talk about books, the pendulum will swing to all the way to the other side. 
and you'll and it swings all the way to the side that we're censoring books, you know. And so this minister got up and said, oh, I'm of the ministers of this community and we are do not believe in censoring books. We are vehemently opposed to this group over here kind of thing. So now I'm standing there going, OK, now I don't agree with the actions of the first group. And, I, and I'm not, I don't agree with the I'm one of the ministers in this community and I don't agree with that either. So I got up. And what I had done ahead of time as I had taken the book and I had read the book, I got out of the library and I read the book. And as I read the book, I could I could see that this probably was not a good book. This is not the best choice to read to third graders. And then I looked at the mission statement of the school. And I got up in front of them and I said, you know, I've read the book. And and as I read your mission statement, there are many things in the book that go against your mission statement, of what you're trying to get across to our children. And I would hope and I would give the benefit of the doubt that the the parent or the teachers, when they read through the book, are stopping and and explaining that to the children kind of thing. But but when you put that in a uh, video form, that's awful hard to do. So let me give you some examples. And I went to page 55, you know, and read something. I said, this goes against this part of the mission statement. Another page. This goes against this part of it. This goes against this part. Of it. After I got done with all that, then I just said to them, I just I truly believe there must be a better material to use to continue to support the mission of the school that we have in front of our children. Well, what happened after that? <laughs> well, after the meeting, the school board came up to me, came up to me and said, would you be on a committee to help us to evaluate when we have material like this, um, that there's some objection to make sure that it, it aligns with the mission of the school. Okay, why did they come up to me? It wasn't because of me. It was because in this scenario where I had to raise my hand, say, wait a minute, this is wrong. This is not, this book is not good. This is wrong. Um, but I did it in a way, hopefully, that the conduct was honorable and beautiful, that the people could see it, silence them, muzzled them to say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna reach out a little bit farther in this scenario or situation. So our conduct is a reflection that our priority is for God and for others. Our conduct is always fully a reflection that our priority is for God and others. We always remember that we are wanting people in group two, those who do not yet believe, to move over to group one, those who believe, that they would be also ones who proclaim the excellencies of him who brought you out of darkness into this marvelous light. So I pray that these ancient words are ever true. They're changing me and they're changing you. We have come with open hearts. So let the ancient words impart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, give us the courage when, when it's needed to raise our hand. Give us the courage. Help us, Lord, to search your scripture closely so that we know that we are standing not on our own opinions, but on what you have said. And Lord, when we raise our hand, Lord, may our conduct be honorable and beautiful and excellent before those we are opposing. And, and we may have to uh, endure earthly punishment, but even when we do that, 
May our conduct always point them to you. We ask this in your precious and holy name. Amen. And I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard a tender whisper of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleased and that I. Father, it's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you, it's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am, and I've seen many searching for Bye. 